You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, and today we are running solo just me on this episode and i'm going to recap my uh, recent trip to nebraska um man i tell you i i'll just i'll just save it for later it's one of those trips that i wanted to go on because honestly it's a september hunt there's not a lot of really high expectations other than what is kind of rolling around in my head uh you know like i may you know people have told me uh, this could happen and so i think about things like that and i and then you go whoops, shut the ac off um and then you go on one of these hunts and then it just the expectations in your head don't match up with the conditions and what's actually out there and so um i don't know it it's uh, going to be fun to kind of lay it out for you uh so let me just say this the the nine finger chronicles the uh, hunting gear podcast we are on a a network called the sportsman's empire so if you if you haven't heard of the sportsman's empire the that's the network that i own right and so let me pull up um and I'm, this is kind of a quick shout out to all the other guys who are on the the Sportsman's Empire podcast, along with the Nine Finger Chronicles and the Hunting Gear podcast. We have the How to Hunt Deer podcast. We have the Southern Ground Hunting podcast. We have the Nomadic Outdoorsman podcast. We have the DIY Sportsman Houndsman XP podcast. Oklahoma Outdoors, the Whitetail Experience, and the Antler Up podcast. Those are two brand new 
uh, podcasts that are on the the network that you guys should check out. The Missouri Woods and Water podcast, the Ohio Outdoors podcast, Pennsylvania Woodsman, the Western Rookie, the Huntivore podcast, uh, the Whitetail Landscape podcast, Michigan Wild, the Average Conservationist, Wisconsin Sportsman. And those are the active podcasts that we're, uh, we're putting out right now. And I'm telling you right now, that I will put this content up that we're putting out against any other podcast content currently out. That's how confident I am in the uh, in the content that we're putting out, the group of guys that we have behind the content. Um, they're all really good at what they do, and that makes for a good podcast. So if you live, for example, if you live in Ohio, go check out the Ohio Focus podcast. If you live in Michigan, go check out the uh, Missouri, or the the Michigan podcast. If you live in Missouri, go check out the Missouri podcast. And so if if you are, you know, a whitetail nut, but you also love to run hounds and uh, coon hunt and things like that, man, the Houndsman XP podcast is the top tier in its class. And uh, if you're brand new. Uh, and you want to check out more of a how-to or instructional type uh, hunting podcast, go check out the How to Hunt Deer podcast. So again, if you're or, or if you're from the South, the Southern Ground Hunting podcast, we literally have content for everybody on the Sportsman's Empire. So please go check that out, sportsmansempire.com. And so that's my push for the company that I own. And the people behind it are really good at what they do. Uh, and so go, uh, go, spread your wings a little bit or spread your ears and go check out some of this, uh, you know, some of this content. All right. Commercial time real quick, real, real quick tethered. Uh, if you're looking for a saddle, I almost used a saddle this on this Nebraska trip, but the area that I got into was all bushes, not necessarily. And if I would have set up in, in a tree, my scent would have just been completely wrong. And, uh, I wouldn't have, um, I wouldn't have, uh, seen any deer. I didn't see any deer anyway, but anyway, that's a, that's a whole different story. But, uh, if you're looking for a, a company that not only has a great product line, they have saddles, they have climbing sticks, they have saddle hunting accessories, they have platforms, go check out tethered. Uh, and then all the instructional type content that they put out on how to use their products. And that's very important. So tethered, uh, saddles wasp broadheads dude dude i I tell you what it's funny in the past in the past i want to say two weeks i've had about 10 guys reach out to me and say all right you've you've hyped up wasp i'm gonna give them a try and then they get the broadhead and they're like jesus man i wish i would have known about these sooner uh so if you're looking, if you're in the mood to switch your broadheads or looking for a very well built, very well designed broadhead, majority of their heads are made in America. And that's a win to me, right? So you have those three things all working in conjunction with each other. It makes a really good product. And the people behind the product are also very good at what they do. Um, so go check out wasparchery.com, discount code for 20% off, NFC20, NFC20. Uh, hunt stand. How much time did I spend on hunt stand in the past couple weeks? Uh, just not only preparing for this hunt, but then while on the hunt, looking for the little terrain features, marking little spots on the on the map, just looking at absolutely everything, breaking it down, and getting where I need to be, and just documenting everything. And that's how I use it in the field. And then 
there's just so much more functionality that I want you to go to huntstand.com and read about. I mean, it's the, number one, it's the most affordable. So you're getting a great value with the price in comparison to the actual functionality of the, the hunting app. So go check out huntstand.com, a discount code SN20 for 20% off, I believe it is. And uh, it's just a great, I don't know, it's a, it's a great tool for hunters. And I don't know where I would be without a digital mapping application like that. And then last but not least, Vortex Optics. Great people, again, behind a great product. And uh, man, this, I used range finders. I used the spotting scope. I used the... Uh, binoculars on this uh, Nebraska hunt. So uh, do me a favor, go check out vortexoptics.com. They have everything you need from what I just mentioned to fire. If you're a firearm nut, spotting scope, or they have rifle scopes, they have red dots, they have everything you need. And again, a whole bunch of content based around how to properly use their products. And that's a win. So vortexoptics.com. Oh, and they have a apparel line. Okay, a badass apparel line. And so, uh, it, and I'm telling you what, it is actually badass. Uh, so go check out the uh, Vortex Optics uh, apparel line on their website, vortexoptics.com. <clears throat> All right, let's change gears now. Let's uh, talk a little bit about this Nebraska recap. And to be honest with you, this is going to be a short episode because, I mean, it was a quick one. And I made the decision. I'm just going to get this right out of the way. I decided to leave my hunt a day early. And I'm glad I did. And it wasn't necessarily weather conditions. It wasn't necessarily the the deer moving or not. But uh, I had scheduled to actually be back. I'm recording this on Monday morning. And I didn't have this... I had this scheduled to be back sometime around today, actually, but I showed up late Saturday night. And the reason I did that is because my son, they they rotate positions on their flag football team. And I wanted to be there. His rotation this week was to be quarterback. And it's an active role in the team. It's not just necessarily an offensive lineman uh, that just sits there and blocks or a defensive guy, defensive lineman who gets out there and, and uh, um, you know, tries to get a flag. So the, my gut told me, if you don't get back for this, you're going to regret not being there for it. And sure enough, man, it, the, the team didn't disappoint. Uh, I was... So happy that I made the trip back a day early so I could get there. It's like a day and a half early and get back and hunt like and watch my boy play football because I I don't know about you guys who have kids, the younger kids, hell, even the older kids. I absolutely get fired up watching my kids do their activities. I mean, everything from my daughter dancing to uh, my kids playing soccer and football and anything else that they do. I just, I love it. I, I love, I love that part of my life. And so my boy, he scored two touchdowns on some quarterback keepers. He uh, handed the ball off. He like, he took faking the handoff or, or actually handing the ball off, then faking the run so seriously 
me and my wife and my father-in-law and my dad on the sidelines thought he had the ball multiple times and then he actually handed it off to another I mean it was it was really awesome to watch and so he scored twice and then uh he uh, he did a really good job handing the ball off. It was too windy to pass, so we the the coach didn't pass at all, which don't blame him. And then on defense, he played cornerback, and he had one. They handed it off, and the guy was sweeping way around. And I had you know the from a from a football standpoint, I'm like, hey, you can't let him get outside yet. And so he ran right up to this guy for like a five yard loss and pulled the flag. And uh, and then a handful of plays later. Also playing cornerback, he uh, the their quarterback threw a ball and, towards a guy, and he stepped in front of him and intercepted it. And I was uh, I was pretty hype about that. So uh, I'm glad. I, I feel like I would have regretted it if I didn't come back and and watch that game. Uh, and I'm glad I did because uh, he played really well. And not only that, but uh, I'm a team guy, right? I'm glad my uh, I'm glad my son played well. But I think watching the team play well together was a- another thing that uh, made me very happy to, to come back and, uh, you know, come back and do that. So huge shout out to all the coaches that, you know, whether I'm patting myself on the back a little bit, I'm also patting anybody else who volunteers for uh, kids athletics. Man, huge shout out to you because I really do feel that that is, it's very important, especially with, I mean, there's some kids out there where that's going to be the only love and and compassion that they get throughout a day. And so um, a huge shout out to uh, the the people who take time out of their their day to volunteer for any type of kids events. So, all right, so here's the deal. I, I had a guy reach out to me uh, who lived in central Nebraska. Now, in the past, the last two years, I have gone to western Nebraska, far west, as, as far like I'm probably 50 miles or less, uh, actually 38 miles from the South Dakota border and then probably 50 miles from the Wyoming border. And so that's how far I would go. And it was 10 hours. It's 10 and a half hours from my house to get to where I would stay in camp. Good deer out there, have no problem. So I had a guy reach out to me and, and pretty much say to me, hey man, the opportunity to kill the same caliber of deer is also in central Nebraska and it's four hours less of a drive. And so I, I milled that over for several weeks and I said, you know what? I think I'm going to give that a try because if I can get away with driving eight less hours in a trip like four four less hours there and four hours less uh, less hours back that's a day of driving and that means at least I, I should get two more to two more hunts to possibly one more hunt in before I have to go back home and so maybe get out there and do a an evening hunt and then do a morning hunt and then leave so that was the thought process that kind of went through my head. And, and uh, I got into communication with this guy and, and uh, fair enough that, I mean, what's awesome about, and I feel spoiled because what's awesome about the position that I'm in, people are very happy to help 
right? And I, I try to do my best and return the favors to people who ever, um, not necessarily ask me for spots, but like, hey, talk to me about this area. And then I share that information with them. I don't necessarily give them pins like people have done to me. And so I really do thank all the people who wanted to see my success. That's It's awesome. I'm not going to lie. I, I got some intel. And so this guy uh, who reached out to me, not only did he offer up his private pieces that I decided I didn't want to take advantage of right away, um, he he pointed me in the direction of smaller pieces that he felt were overlooked because of everybody skipping by them to go to northwest Nebraska to the bigger pieces of public, right? They have way more national forest and grasslands up there and uh, a lot more walk-in up there. And so in the central part of the state, it's more sprinkled. And so you really can cover cover these pieces in a day or in a hunt. And so I said to myself, I'm going to give that a try. I'm going to, because I would, I would love to travel four less hours and still have the opportunity to shoot a mule deer or a, a good whitetail buck. And the, uh, and the terrain is somewhat in, in a way somewhat similar uh central nebraska has way more ag than western nebraska but uh and it seemed like they had a little bit more water in the creeks and, and things like that but i will say this um i got out there and the, i got out there in enough time on monday because i i wanted to stick around the weekend for the kids soccer games and my boys football game and then my mother-in-law came on monday the kids didn't have school on monday so i i got to leave around noon and so that's a roughly an eight-hour drive and uh then you lose another hour so i had about 30 to 40 minutes or you you gain an hour whatever whatever that is you go from central time to mountain time i believe it is and uh, no we didn't make mountain time on that first day anyway I, I got there in enough time to do some glassing around some of the the private or the some of the public pieces that I got the, some uh, intel on, and so I went around and I I was glassing and and it was so hot those first two days that nothing was moving until last light, and in that first drive about I did see some white-tailed does I did see uh, some mule deer does and then I did also see one mule deer buck coming out of private uh he was on private but he was right next uh, he was probably 300 yards off of uh public and so i said to myself hey not a, not a, a bad not a bad idea and so i spent that night on hunt stand kind of looking for where's the food what are the what do i assume they're doing and then i uh went to bed and it was hot as balls right so slept i slept in the back of my truck in the parking lot of a wma and uh and, and the next morning I got up and I hiked across the road into this piece of uh, public that bordered a, an, a private ag field. And sure enough, I got in there and I picked off five white or five mule deer doe coming out of this river bottom back up into the hills. And, uh, but I can't shoot mule deer doe on this trip. Okay, I pretty much was going after a whitetail buck or a uh, a mule deer buck, 
And because uh, I probably could have shot a whitetail if I wanted to, but I just didn't even really approach it. Like I, I, I don't know. There, I guess there, I look at it like this. There's still some time, right? There is an opportunity that I can go back to Nebraska and, uh, and, and hunt. So it's hot. The deer are moving at first light and then at last light. And so no bucks. And then I glass down into the private fields and there's some whitetails working their way back up into these little drainages that led down in there. They're mixed in with cattle. And long story short, day one was, uh, the morning of day one was those two encounters. And then I popped into another piece real quick and and just glassed and glassed and glassed and nothing was moving. And, and so movement was over. Now on these smaller pieces, my thought process was I can go in there and I can stomp around and do some scouting, but I feel like on the smaller pieces that would do more harm than good. So what I did was I waited until these evening hunts and, uh, on the, on the evening hunts, I would go and walk around. And so morning of day one, saw the deer, um, left that spot cause there was no bucks that I could see walked clear around it. And we're talking 800 acres and out there, it's not like 800 acres of timber, all timber ground, which you could really scrub. I, I used my binoculars to do the scouting for me. And so that morning, uh, after that, I went to a new spot and then I went on like a real long walk. Uh, and it was like, I think it was about a thousand acres, uh, a thousand or 1100 acres that I ended up covering. And there wasn't, there was, there was some, it was a, uh, a public piece next to some walk-in piece next to a walk-in piece. And I was able to scrub these pieces, walk up and down glass. And I didn't, I saw one track, one set of mule deer tracks and that was it. I didn't see any, like half the cattle tanks were off on, or all the cattle tanks were off on the, on the public. And then in the walk-in, they were still on, but there was no cattle in and still no tracks. And I, 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 I did a good amount of scouting. So for about three hours, I, I walked to those two pieces and nothing, nothing showed up. So I ended up going back and it was hot as balls again. And so I decided, I, um, you know, there's nothing really to do. I mean, you could sit there in this heat and you could just keep walking and just blow yourself out the, the first couple of days. So I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to wait and then I'm going to go to a different spot and I'm going to, I don't know, I'm going to, I'm going to go check out. Uh, a different, uh, you know, a different spot for that, that morning hunt. I'm going to pull up. And so that next, that evening, after I went back to, you know, after I went back to my, my truck and kind of uh, took a little nap and that's what, I, that's for the most part, that's what I did. I got up early. I got to a good classing spot. I looked for deer, um, no deer. I would go on an er, uh, a mid morning scouting mission when it was still somewhat cool and then i would just cover ground glassing and almost with the hopes of kicking something up or just at least seeing something with antlers and scouting looking for tracks looking for food sources all uh, looking for water documenting all that on hunt stand and then and then 
going back to the truck and in the heat of the day or when nothing's moving. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I would then just kind of chill out the truck, relax, and uh, nothing. You know, I, I didn't see anything. So that night, I posted up in a spot, got skunked. Didn't see, didn't see anything. The next morning, I I got up and I went to a. I'm trying to think here. I went to a different spot, glassed, saw some uh, uh, white-tailed does, and that was it. Then the 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 morning was over, and I said to myself, "Man, these these spots are good, right? Like uh, the guy tells me these spots are good, but." They're, he hunts them in October or during the, the rut. And so I say to myself, man, it's hot. Number one, it's hot. Number two, it's a di- completely different time of year. It's way early season. It's September as opposed to October or, or November. And so I'm assuming that the Bucks are doing different things. Um, and I, like, I wish I could sit here and, and tell you guys that every day was like different or exciting and I had an opportunity to go chase something, but I didn't. Um, it was, it was tough. And okay. So the, the cold front comes, there's a cold front that comes through and it drops the temperature. I was pretty hyped for this. It drops the temperature quite a bit and the rain comes. Right. And so I said to myself, I'm going to take this opportunity this morning and I'm going to try to cover as much ground as I possibly can from my truck on all these other spots that he, this guy gave me all these little spots. And for the most part, they were grouped into, I'm going to say a 40 mile area, right? So 40 miles really isn't a lot. When you think about it, it's, uh, it's, I put about two hours on the truck in the truck, just driving to a spot glassing. And that's what I did. Uh, I left the original area. I went back to found some more walk-in and some more public that this guy gave me, uh, pins to. And really what I did was I just glassed. And that morning I didn't see anything other than one white tailed doe that just happened to be crossing out of, uh, out of private to a different private piece at an intersection. And so there was cattle in a lot of the walk-in that I was in. Um, and so I, I just went on a glassing mission. Most of the properties that I had access to or um, that I, I was looking at, you could you could glass from the road. They were fairly flat. There was some vegetation in there. You know, if I was going to do my due diligence, I probably could have got out of the truck. But I just wasn't seeing anything. I wasn't seeing anything even from the road in the mornings, uh, even in the ag fields, even in the hay fields, even in the, the alfalfa fields. And so... Um, I had this gut feeling that was telling me you got to go back to your original stomping grounds. Other 
places that you are familiar with, you know what you can do there. And, um, and so, I mean, you, you kind of know the terrain a little better, you know what the deer are doing in the evenings and the mornings. And so, uh, while it was raining, I took the opportunity to drive another three and a half hours to the West and go back to the, the places that I, that I was familiar with. And so I got, I, I drove, drove three and a half hours. Um, I chilled for just a little bit in, in the truck and then I got out and I went to a glassing spot for an evening hunt and, uh, I saw some white tailed does. And then I saw two, I don't, they, they must've been like little forkies or something because I, I couldn't actually see their antlers on, I think this would have been the evening of night three, two or three. Yeah. It would have been night, night two. And so my gut tells me you got to get back to these, these original spots. I get there. I instantly start seeing does, um, uh, white tailed does and I see two white tails putting their heads together and this was through the spotter um, and it, they were so far away that it was hard to see how big they actually were but I could tell they were bucks because they were they were sparring with each other put their heads together then pushing they ended up fading away into a piece of private and then um, n- no moves were made that night the next night or the, so that night I sleep in my truck again and I I stayed on some grassland ground, uh, just on, on a trail on a, uh, in the back of my truck again, pulled over to the side of the road. I think out there you can, you can pull your truck up to 300 feet off the road and you can park your truck or camp or do whatever. And so I, the whole trip, I just slept in, in the back of my truck. I got a system worked out. It's very comfortable. Um, got a foam pad, got a really good sleeping bag and, uh, the next morning, I went back to a, a, a spot that I had uh, glassed the previous year on multiple occasions, on multiple trips. And uh, sure enough, long story short, 30 mule deer does. And so I said to myself, dude, there's got to be a buck in here. There, I mean, if there's, if there's 30 whitetail or a mule deer doe, again, I can't shoot a mule deer doe in that unit. Um there's got to be at least one buck in here. So I sat there for multiple hours, just picking apart these drainages, trying to locate, you know, the, the mule deer that were, um, coming in and out and, and moving from drainage to drainage. Sometimes they'd pop up, hop over. Sometimes they would scoot in, disappear. And so I just sat there for multiple hours and just picked it apart and really focused on what I could, you know, the, getting in tight to places, really picking it apart. And then I would, I would find the, a mule deer, a group of mule deer does, and then there's no antlers on them. So then I, I stood up and I walked down the drainage, down the valley a little bit more, posted up again, picked up, picked it apart from a different angle and no white tail or no, no bucks at all. And this was a mule deer spot, historically a mule deer spot. So I mean, this is when it kind of gets frustrating because I, I, I'm saying to myself, I want to make it back for my boys football game, but I also want to be successful. Right. And so I ended up staying in that spot for two, two days. 
the next evening, or so that that morning, cold front. You know, it was a uh, the 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 first day of the big temperature drop, and so I ended up um, uh, the the second day of the big temperature drop, and after the rain had moved through, and so that after that hunt i packed up i drove to a different piece or first off i ran into some um some antelope hunters and they said hey we saw we saw a group of mule deer and there's two bucks in it at this in this drainage and so i went over to that area and i spent about four hours walking that i saw some i, I saw some antelope uh on one part of the property and then I just went on this big four-hour hike where I covered two big drainages that all led down into one bigger drainage, and I didn't see a single mule deer doe, and or mule deer period. And I thought to myself, man, what's going on? And the, it, you get fr- you get a little frustrated because I had a guy ask me uh, through Instagram. He goes, like, what do you think that you could take away from? this hunt that would make you better the next time that you go there and i said to myself oh you think about you think about this and i said to myself i really don't know if I, there's anything to take away from because i know what i need to do I, I i know i need to glass a lot i know i need to locate them and then once you locate them then you can put the process of stalking into play and up until that point i didn't have any opportunity to put the process of putting a stock on an animal because I'm hunting in a location. Like I don't really have an interest in shooting a whitetail doe straight up in the units that I was hunting. The state says no mule deer doe can be, can be shot. Okay. So that leaves whitetail bucks and that leaves mule deer bucks. And my goal was to shoot any legal buck and so that, and when you don't, when you don't see them, you can't go and put a stock on them or, or, or try to shoot them or anything like that. And you only have so much time throughout the day to go and do, uh, you know, go in and do this. Like I could have spent 10 hours or eight hours of, of my day before the evening hunt, just blowing through properties, wearing myself out. And I, I know this kind of sounds like an excuse, but that's my process. That is my approach to this is to get up, to glass, to identify, and then make a move on these animals uh, or locate them for the, the morning hunt, then make a move on them, get real tight in, and then go ahead and, uh, you know, I don't know, locate them, then make a move on them. And that just wasn't happening. I, I, didn't, I didn't see anything with antlers, any legal shooters. And so, that, so I, was getting, I was getting frustrated but still enjoying myself, right? I understand that this is brand new to me. I understand that uh, there's a lot of things that come into play on an out-of-state hunt like this that you can't control, like what happened the following morning. So I saw those whitetail bucks. I spent the night. I went back to the. Uh, I went back to that uh, that place the next morning. And I ended up seeing a group of, let's see. So that, okay, wait. So that night, the first night I got there, glassed up some, glassed up those whitetails. Uh, 
The next morning, glassed up 30 deer. Uh, the, the next night, my, a guy goes, Hey man, check this spot out that I know. Um, if you're down to shoot anything that, you know, a, a whitetail buck, then here's an opportunity to shoot a whitetail buck. Lots of things. So I go in into this place. <laughs> I set up or I, I run into some guys from Florida or not Florida, uh, Pennsylvania, running some, to some guys from New York. Uh, they're kind of doing the same thing that I'm doing, uh, but they're, they're going to go to a different spot. So I get down in there. One, the guy I know says, hey, it's whitetail heaven. You're, you're definitely going to see some deer down there. And long story short, that night I didn't see a, another night where I didn't see a single deer. And so I got, I, I got straight up frustrated um, I just like, I, and then on top of that, not only seeing the deer, but right when I thought I was going to see a deer, the wind shifted and I was hearing things kind of commotioning in this bedding area. And I was posted up on this hill in with some bushes and the wind shifted. And then all that commotion stopped. I, you know, I thought I was going to hear a whitetail blow, like blow out the whole uh, river system, but it didn't. And so I, I, the wind shifted and I didn't, and it was right at last light when in, it was almost like a thermal shift where the, the wind predominant wind was kind of in the same area and the, the, the sun was up and it, the wind was kind of coming up, but then the sun went behind the terrain and then it all shifted down. Right, so the thermals were almost pulling the predominant wind down into the 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 river, the the creek system that I was in, and I think that had something to do with it. Not much you can do, right? So, got in, drove back to the the. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply the uh, private where I spent the, the previous night got there got set up and and I missed about I'm gonna say 30 minutes of glassing the previous morning because at that point from driving to central Nebraska to western Nebraska I went through the um, I went through the the mountain time zone change so I said to myself well I only uh, I, I just get up the same amount of time earlier, right? I mean, I just, I'm in a new time zone, but it, they're so close to each other. The, it's not necessarily the time zone that makes the decision of when you should get up. It's the sun. So I got, a, I got a, straight up, got up late that morning and I missed about 30 minutes of glassing, um, uh, the, the morning that I saw the 30 mule there. I didn't want to make that mistake again. So I got up at about five in the morning and went into that same glassing spot and made it perfect amount of time, started glassing and instantly saw mule deer, mule deer does down there. But this time I only saw 12 and I had a gut feeling that I was going to, something was going to pop up as I'm sitting there glassing. 
all of the mule deer in that entire drainage. There was two groups, one of six, no, no, one of eight, and then one of four. And they were all acting really spooky, right? And I had seen this before, and I didn't want to acknowledge it. And cutting cut to the chase here, two coyotes blew out that entire drainage. They came in from one direction, and they just worked their way through all these drainages, popping up all these mule deer, and all 12 mule deer that I had located all blew out. I didn't see any other mule deer leave any other direction. And so uh, I said to myself, what am I doing here? There's no, there's no mule deer bucks. These coyotes just kind of proved it to me. There's nothing. And so after that hunt, that, that's day three now. So after that hunt, I made the decision, okay, I, there's, there's one more spot to go before I, uh, there's one more spot that I'm going to, I want to check out. And so it's a spot that I hunted the previous, uh, the previous year as well. And it's a morning mule deer spot, evening whitetail spot. And I, I had some Intel from some guys that, Hey man, I, when we, we turned around in, in one of these parking lots and we saw an absolute giant mule deer in, uh, in on some private bordering this, but they were working their way back to bed on, on public. And so I said to myself, all right, well, it's, you know, it's another hour closer to home. Let me go and check it out. So that night I went to a spot where the three previous times I hunted that spot, I saw this, uh, the two times was the same buck. The third time was a different buck all stand out. I'm assuming it's from the same bed, right? So last year, the first two times I hunted it, I watched a buck stand up out of it, uh, out of a bed. The first time he went on to uh, private, the second time he came on to public and I was at 63 yards. I needed to get to 60. That's my max range. Uh, I think, and I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm waiting for him to turn broadside. He turns broadside. I say to myself, I need to close three more yards. He's comfortable. I get to 60 yards, 61 yards. I ranged him at. And I, I adjust my weight ever so slightly. And it's one of those days where it's windy up top, but down in the bottoms, it's dead quiet. And a twig snaps. And it just snapped so hard, it echoed throughout the whole valley. And he was gone. Boop, gone. And then in October, after I killed my deer in South Dakota, we dropped back down into, uh, we dropped back down into Nebraska to try that spot again. Sure enough, another a, a different buck with uh, I think he had a busted G two or something like that. He came in out of that same little bedding area, and he hopped up again and went. So I I had really high expectations that this this little area produces like this holds whitetail bucks i get there right like i'm not i'm saying an hour and a half before sunset a group of does whitetail does comes up does exactly what they're supposed to do they come behind me they they don't the wind is in my favor. So they, they kind of J hook around me. And I'm like, God, if a buck does that, he's toast. Like 
very confident in, in this setup and I could make an adjustment to get a shot on. And I didn't see another deer the rest of the night. So I was just like, gosh, man, what is going on? And so, uh, I didn't see, I didn't see another deer that night. And, and who knows on these, on these out of state hunts, who, who knows, unless you're able to put in the scouting time, unless you've hunted these places a hundred times before, who knows what really is the reason for, uh, for the deer not being there or the deer doing one thing and not the other could be water, could be cover, could be food sources, could be cattle, could be wind direction, could be like the rotation in, in where these deer are at. You know, like I feel like this is, I, I have no, I don't know if I have enough experience to make a, a factual statement on this, but I feel that white tails are more patternable in a certain location as opposed to mule deer who go through a bigger core area and are let's say more of on a three-day cycle like i could go and that's a guess that that three days is a guess i could go sit on a drainage and i could watch the same whitetails walk out every single day but if i go to a spot five days in a row i would see I would only see the mule deer there, a, a group, you know, a, a group of mule deer go through that area two times in five days or two times in six days or something like that. That's a guess, but that's kind of what I feel I've observed. And so the next morning, the, the last, last year we went and we felt we had these mule deer figured out. They were on private food coming back into public and betting in public. And so there was a little hunting pressure there, but I, that next morning, I spent the night there in my truck. The next morning, this is the last, this is, uh, at this point, I'm not 100% sure if I'm going to hunt Saturday and then drive through the night to try to make my son's football game on Sunday, or if I'm just going to call it quits and, and hunt. And so the next, that night after that hunt, I drove, I drove down and I saw shit, 12 mule deer on the private and one little four corn buck. Um, <laughs> I'm not joking yet. And, and I would be lying to you if the thought didn't cross my mind that I could get out of my truck, grab my bow and sh- just walk into the ditch and shoot him uh, standing on the private or on the public. Like he stood there that long, this little four corn mule deer. He was a legal buck. But I was like, that's not how I want to do it, right? I don't want to, that's not how I want to do it. So I kept driving and he just stood there. And so I turned around, came back. And, and so I knew, I knew that they were accessing these private fields. Um, and so the next morning, uh, like they did the previous years, they came through um, or they, the goal was to catch intercept them coming through, maybe even watch them bed down and make a stock on them on this private, on this public. And so long story short, again, I, I get to the spot, sun's coming up. I'm able to glass instantly. I start seeing mule deer. And so there's one mule deer looked like he had a big body compared to uh, everything else that I'd seen that week. And so I ended up, watching him he disappeared behind some hay bales and then i put my binos up 
and my wind is blowing from west to east and he starts they start before they pop into the public it looked like they were going to go to a different terrain feature and cross so they were on private i think they made these two i noticed there was two now and they hit my i think they probably hit my scent but i put my binos up later on those two deer and they were still just hanging around so i think my scent was kind of going hitting a terrain a terrain feature and going north let's see, northeast on this west wind. And they went to the terrain feature to the southeast. And so I saw them and they weren't spooked. They were just sitting there on, on private. Um, couldn't really tell what they were at, at that point. And then they just kind of disappeared. Meanwhile, I went into uh, the I, I, another group of mule deer doe popped up over the the horizon line on the on the private with the food. And I said to myself, okay, these deer are going to do exactly what they did last year. They're going to cross the, you know, cross into uh, private or public and they're going to go bed down. And I just sat there and glassed and they did not come into the, the public. I think maybe some other hunters maybe have spooked them the last couple of days and they flanked to a different uh, position. And then in a roundabout way, they went into the private where those other two did. They just didn't take the same route. Um, and I sat there a little bit longer, glassing the horizon lines, looking for any, any anything of shooter caliber, maybe that little forky again. And uh, they did not show up. Uh, nothing showed up. So from previous year's history, I pull up hunt stand. And I'm looking at the bedding areas that we identified that some of these mule deer were hunting in. And so I did a big J hook into this property and sat up on, there was, it's a big, it's a big almost drop down drainage into, uh, I mean, it, 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 when you're up top, it looks flat, but then you drop down into it and it looks like Colorado. Okay. I mean, it, it's pretty aggressive terrain. And, uh, so I went in there and started glassing, uh, into some of these historic, uh, bedding areas that we, there's two specific ones that we identified where these deer had, uh, bedded in pre previous years, nothing there. And there was, there were some cattle in there still, uh, on, on some of these pieces. And it was at that point where I got a call from my mom. Uh, and it was, she was at my, at the kids soccer games and my youngest boy had scored a goal, his first goal ever in soccer. He's, he's five years old. And then my other two kids, uh, a little while later had scored, uh, my boy scored a goal and my daughter scored a goal and, um, they were, you know, jacked and everybody was happy. And I said to myself, man, I don't, I don't want to miss my, my boy's football game. And I really don't want to drive through the night after another day of hunting to get to you know and just be exhausted for for that hunt i wasn't seeing anything the movement even though that cold front had come through was still first light and last light and i think that that that's a that's something also that i don't think a lot of people get is this early season they think that if a cold front comes through it's just going to change the game on everything it doesn't, man. I don't know how long I've hunted whitetails, and I've I've thought that, you know, 
the, I got this cold front coming through. It's going to just get the deer on their feet. It's going to do that. No, September, early, like early October, especially if it's been warm, even if a giant cold front comes through that cold front, isn't going to turn on the breeding cycle. And so that's where I feel like a lot of people get, I don't know, they get, they get carried away in cold fronts in certain times of year. And it just, I have not seen it make a huge difference in the, in deer movement anywhere that I've ever been. And so it's time of year. I I think it, it more of it has to do with time of year than it does with weather conditions. And so if it's September and especially if it's hot, um, it's going to, it's going to stifle things. And then if it gets like a cold front came through, I didn't necessarily see an uptick in deer movement because of that, that, that it was 40 degree temperature change. And so I don't know if it shocked their system. I'm not trying to sit here and act like I know what's going on, but I didn't see an uptick in deer movement because of that cold, those, those cold fronts coming through. I think they were still on the early movement, really late movement. And that was it. So I saw about, what was it? Two, six, seven, eight, maybe mule deer doe that morning. And then went into those bedding area or like went across the, the drainages glassing into those two bedding areas and nothing, nothing doing. And so that's when I made the decision, I'm going to hop in my car. I'm going to drive back. I'm going to uh, get back in time to watch Iowa football play. And, uh, and then, uh, and then Sunday morning I'll be there, you know, I'll get a good night's sleep. And then Sunday morning I'll be able to, uh, watch my my boy play football and so this has kind of led me to think that i need to if i'm going to put energy into a a, a, another hunt into nebraska in september i'm gonna have to do it the last week in september or move it into october and juggle two trips one right away in October and then one, one, like say Nebraska and South Dakota, because I love hunting these, these, these places. And I know that if I hit it right, I feel like I can still get it done in, in these, in these places. But I feel like I'm my, my odds just keep getting better the closer to the rut I get. And so I don't know if I'm going to start juggling like when I when I start planning for next year if I'm going to go first week of October, third week of October and then just condense it all down into, you know, all of these hunts into like a 6-week period or if I want to do what I did this year and go to, you know, a, a Nebraska hunt in September, uh, my South Dakota October hunt and then the rut here in Iowa. And, and then if I tag out early, go back to these places that I haven't necessarily filled my tags in. And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of what's the best option at this point. And I feel like for someone who's hunting by themselves, not in a group, one set of eyes on, on the, the environment where these deer are living, I think my, my best bet is to hunt in October. 
and the temperatures are dropping. The food sources have changed a little bit. Um, I know they're not necessarily on their their patterns. There's probably some precipitation that that has happened in October. I mean, it was dry out there. I was hunting in one part of the state that I don't think they had rain for 30 some days. So that rain that came through was so minimal that I don't think it really changed anything. And, um, and so that's, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, I wish I could sit here and say it was some kind of exciting, crazy hunt. It wasn't, I found that I found the deer. I couldn't go after, go after them. Maybe there was some things I did wrong. Maybe there was some things I did right, but it was, it was, it wasn't necessarily, um, uh, a hunt that I necessarily learned, like I had success on or necessarily failed on because like, again, I don't feel like I had the opportunity to put in the process of after you locate a deer, what do you do next? I, I still needed to locate the deer. And so if anything, what I need to learn is how to locate deer in these environments. And it sounds to me like it's hit and miss. Um, sometimes you, sometimes you locate them, sometimes you don't. And I, maybe, maybe I didn't cause last, the last two times I was in Nebraska, I actually saw bucks now, nothing, nothing huge or, uh, I don't know, nothing giant or huge or, but they were legal bucks this time I didn't. So I don't know if it was circumstance I don't know if I did something wrong in the location part of it, but that just drives me to do a little bit more research, to to talk to people, to find out information about what they're doing, what the, the I guess the bucks are doing this time of year out in those places. And um, I don't know, and just continue to learn because the goal is to learn about these animals find out how they live in this environment and then use that information to kill them. And so, um, I, I don't know if I'm going to come back. I, I might come back in October. I might not, not a hundred percent sure. A lot of it has to do with the, the South Dakota hunt, uh, or how, if I'm successful in the South Dakota hunt, like I did last year while I'm out there, just drop right back down again. That would be nice. Uh, and then from there, uh, maybe give it a second try. But I'm doing things different in South Dakota this year too, and I'll talk to I'll talk about that on a different episode. But uh, yeah, that is that is my Nebraska hunt in a nutshell. It did not turn out the way I wanted, but again, it was an absolute blast. Just out there with just the connection to nature, I absolutely love it. The stars were extremely vibrant. The sleeping in the back of my truck, the wind blowing, the, you know, the nothingness for miles in, in some of these spots and uh, just the lack of human contact. The, like, I love everything about that. And so um, it from a did you kill a deer standpoint, is that success? No, I didn't do that. But was the trip a success because I got out there and I was able to go do something that I love to do and that is my passion. And then I connect disconnected from disconnected from reality for a little bit, got that primal type feeling that I that I love. And now I'm back to reality until my next hunt. So um, that was a success. That was a success. Had a blast. So 
That's the end of today's episode. Huge shout out to Tethered Wasp, Hunt Stand and Vortex. Huge shout out to all of you guys for not only listening to this episode, but following along on uh, Instagram and Facebook and my, all my stories that I put out. Really appreciate that. Make sure you guys are checking out the rest of the content coming out of the Sportsman's Empire. And uh, man, wear your safety harness, right? It, like it, it's it's time, right? Wear your safety harness. Be safe. Good vibes in, good vibes out, and uh, stay tuned for more kick-ass content coming out of the Nine Finger Chronicles uh, podcast over the next uh, handful of months.